Welcome to Skull Stories, presented by CenturyLink, trusted technology partner of the Minnesota Vikings. And tonight's special guest on Skull Stories, the legendary Hall of Fame coach of the Minnesota Vikings, Bud Grant. Mark Rosen here, and it is indeed my pleasure to chat with the Hall of Fame coach, uh, Bud Grant. Bud, uh, we've known each other for a few years, and it's, it's great to sit down and chat with you for a few minutes here tonight. Uh, and first of all, I think a lot of people would be surprised to find out you do have an office. Not only have an office here at TCO, but you are, occupy it and go there quite often. Well, they're gracious enough to let me have an office, and uh, if I have an office, I better utilize it or they'll take it away. Anyway, I come here uh, with no official duties. And I've, you know, always kept my head down, my mouth shut. That's why I have an office. And I'm here when I'm when it's available and the ducks aren't flying and I'm here. <laughs> I've seen you sign autographs and pictures. You can still get a lot of fan mail up there. Well, I have a mailing address and there's, uh, you know, that kind of stuff that doesn't pay much. Well, you know, that's the way it works, I suppose. A <laughs> yeah. uh, long ways from uh, your first office that I recall over on 71st in France, where oh. not only you were there, but uh, owner Max Winter was there, general manager Jim Finks, the assistant coaches. I mean, this is just a small little office place. We could just wander in there and say hello. Well, <clears throat> that's a lot many years ago, Marky. It was. And, and uh, yeah, we, we were one, 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 st- one, one story building, one room kind of, and we had offshoots of buildings and uh, the scouts and the, everybody. We were right there. We were very right. intimate at that time. Well, it was intimate, and I, I think back as well because I was just gazing through the Vikings media guide before we started our conversation. I don't know. They must have at least eight or nine pages filled with assistant names of assistant coaches, all of them. Uh, how many assistant coaches did you have on your, on your, on your team? Well, that's kind of interesting because when I, when I got the job, I had talked to Bernsey, and, and uh, he was tied up at Green Bay. He said, well, i got to honor my contract. And right. I said, well, that's good. I'll save a spot for you. And so I started with four coaches. Four assistant coaches, that's where we started that period of time. And it gradually grew uh, uh, to six and then seven. But seven was the most assistant coaches I had. But knowing how important, for instance, special teams was to you and how an emphasis you put on it, I'm trying to remember. Did you even have a special teams coach? No. Well, Bus Murdys did a lot of the – Detail, not detail, well. Some of the some of the work, mm-hmm. but I was in charge of this the kicking game. I called it the kicking game instead of special team. Right, and so that I always felt that was very important, and I, and I felt I had some background and some knowledge and some insights into the kicking game, and uh, you know we spent a lot of time at it, but I spent a lot of time in the kicking game. And I notice, uh, you know, coaches have kicking coaches now. Right. <clears throat> and I remember George Allen. He was at. Uh, uh, he wanted. He we talked a lot about the kicking game, and it was uh, kind of neglected at those times. But having said that, mm-hmm. we we blocked a lot of kicks. Let me put it that way. But you had a lot of your regulars doing it too. Matt Blair, I think back yeah, we, to Matt well, Blair. Yeah, had, well, all those guys were out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, Matt Blair probably. Uh, I think he blocked 19 kicks in his career. Well, we haven't blocked 19 kicks in the last 19 years. It no, doesn't happen. <laughs> no. But even in uh, you know, I, I think back to the the prime of your coaching career. You you always had your priorities in order. Uh, I, I think about your. Your family, your recreation—you uh, didn't sleep overnight at, at, at your office. Uh, 
You've been described, though, at the same time as one of the most competitive athletes who ever play in any sport, and you hated to lose. So how did that mesh with uh, your competitive aspect of your personality <clears throat> and your priorities of understanding what's, what was really important to you? Well, I think, uh, to, to, you know, first thing you got to do is you got to learn how to lose. And that doesn't mean you like losing or you got to, but you got to get over losing. I mean, you can't be preoccupied with what happened last night or yesterday or last week. Uh, you know, for example, that you're not going to win every game. Um, maybe you could think in football, and because we only play 16 games as opposed to baseball or basketball or hockey, which play every other day, kind of thing. So they mm -hmm. lose often. But a football game, you know, you don't play for another week. So you got to learn. And some coaches I know. Uh, they lost and they were devastated for three or four days and went back and found out how they lost. And all. you got to learn, you got to get rid of that because you are going to lose a few games. And some things are under your control, other things are not in your control. Uh, you, you, you know, so you fumbles and penalties and things like that. So you control the things you can. And then if you have, if you do lose, which and if you do lose, you lose enough, you don't have a job. But you got to get over the losing and go move on. Sure. So that uh, once I reach that point, and uh, forget about the losing and only concentrate on what's coming up. But it didn't matter if you were playing racquetball, whatever it is, you hated to lose. Right? Well, I think competitively. Um, that's a prerequisite to being in, in, in our business. I mean, you most play, most coaches are poor. Uh, you know, they hate to lose, but yeah. that maybe that's a uh, maybe that drives you a little bit too to to uh, excel at winning. You had so many uh, wonderful opportunities to compete as an athlete. As you look back, Bud, on an amazing athletic career, what 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 were the best of times as an athlete for you? Well, you know, I was raised during the war, during the World War. You know, that was everything was the war years. But we uh, athletics kind of took uh, some of the edge off of fighting the war and worrying about mm -hmm. the war and your relatives and your friends and people getting killed and everything. So uh, athletics became uh, something to occupy your competitive spirit. You could. Utilize some of that energy in in athletics, which I, which which I did, and I found that that was a pretty good outlet, and went through high school that way, and and then that carried on from there. At the University of Minnesota, you had some special times. Well, it was, you know, and it's interesting because I keep getting letters from the I should donate more money to the university to the athlete, you know, and and. Uh, they do that to everybody that's gone to the university. And that's where they keep going, and I got nothing against that. Except my experience at the university was not great, because um, you know I was brought in and, and with 150 other guys who've been in the service and and whatnot. So we didn't get much in the mm -hmm. way from the university. And I I now when I see what the 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 college players may be having in their hands now that that uh, they've decided that maybe they do earn some money for the university. And I used to remember I used to sit there and look at those stands and say there's 60,000 people every game mm -hmm. and they're paying ticket and I don't get a nickel of any of that. Now, am I getting a, am I getting an education? Well, I was in the GI Bill. They paid my tuition. Right. They paid for my books. They gave me $75 a month, which wasn't enough to live on. But 
I, I really left the university to play pro basketball because I was, ab I was absolutely flat broke. Didn't have a nickel, didn't have anything. Uh, had to pay for my own lodging. They, they never paid for anything. Let me put it another way. I don't have a feeling I have an obligation to mm -hmm. repay the university for anything because actually they owe me and I've never sent them a bill. You were, you were ahead of the curve a little bit when it comes to that, it seems like. I mean, well, where we are I had today. to scalp football tickets, and Sid Hartman was a big uh, uh, help there because he'd go in the 620 Club and help me sell tickets. And so you were scalping tickets? Scalping for, tickets to, 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 just to, to, <laughs> to for, pay for my room and board. Join Moss along with Britton Colquitt for Vikings Country, Tuesday, December 17th, from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Lone Oak Grill in Egan. Presented by Miller Lite. You could win great prizes, including tickets in the Miller Lite Lounge at U.S. Bank Stadium and Vikings Salute to Service Apparel. Visit vikings.com slash vikingscountry for more info and a full schedule. Join Paul Allen and Paul Charchin at Buffalo Wild Wings in Lakeville on Friday from 9 to noon for Friday Football Feast. The feast is presented by Coors Light. Check out the complete schedule at vikings.com and on the Paul Allen Show page at kfan.com. Most people associate you, of course, with football all the way through uh, as a player, certainly obviously head coach for the Vikings, but you had some remarkable times with the Minneapolis Lakers that you've talked to me about as well, some really close bonded fresh friendships and, and times you had uh, on, on some great championship teams here. Well, you, when you play with the great players, I mean, I've often said, you know, they say, who are the great players you've been associated with or coached or played with or against. And I always say George Mikan was the greatest competitor that I've ever been around. Uh, he was a big guy, a six ten and a half, six eleven, two hundred and seventy-five pounds, and he pounded up and down that floor. And, you know, it was not a graceful guy. He was, he was not like these Michael Jordan or mm -hmm. the, these guys that float through the air without any gravity. Uh, but George pounded up and down, and he never wanted to come out of a game. I remember sitting on the bench, which I spent most of my time, and uh, he'd, he'd cuddle and take him out, and he'd say, what do you take me out for? He said, well, I'll give you a rest. I don't need a rest. And he'd want to go back in the and play the whole game. Now they they got they got they keep track of how many minutes players yeah. play, and they figure, well, they can only play, you know, eight minutes in the first quarter and 10 minutes in the second quarter, and they had to save something for the fourth quarter. Well, we weren't that clever and they didn't exactly have the best you know medical care available like they have today or the transportation from city to city to get to the next game hey hey, hey. yeah well, remember fly we used to fly a dc3 which is a twin engine a very serviceable aircraft been around for a long time but there were like you know 20 seats in there and they weren't and when we weren't flying, they would take the seats out and make it a cargo plane. And we'd, when we'd pick the plane, they put the seats in there, jump seats. We weren't sitting. I, I felt sorry for a guy like Mike and, or the other big players. There wasn't enough room, but somehow they, they, they did it. Wasn't there a crash involved too? It's a, was there a well, there's a couple of experiences that were. <clears throat> in fact, I've written a, a biography, and it relates one of these that we're coming out of Boston and played at Boston Garden, and uh, we were, we're <clears throat> we got to fly back to Minneapolis. Played Saturday night in Boston. We got to be back here Sunday afternoon, which they had games in those days. And Sunday afternoon, we took off from Boston. 
and get up over the harbor, one of our engines, they only got two engine airplane, exploded. I mean, I, what I exploded is not the right word. Got a, caught on fire. And I'm looking out the window and the engine's on fire and we're over the Boston Harbor out about, I don't know, 10 miles, whatever it was. And the f plane's on fire. And I thought, uh oh, this is it. This is it. It, it turned around and the pilot, great pilot, now the DC-3 could fly on one engine level. It couldn't accelerate or couldn't go up or... But anyway, the pilot turned around, we came down and glided in and landed at, at Boston Airport with an engine. Oh they towed us into the hangar, put the fire out, and then we wanted to get back in the airplane. And get. We had to play a Sunday afternoon game in Minneapolis. Well, some people who are a little more scared of flying than I am, including John Cundla and Bob Harrison, and, and some, there was somebody, they weren't going to get on the airplane. Cundler got on the phone to our good friend, Sid Hartman. Of course. And <laughs> explained the situation. And John said, I'm not going to get an airplane. And I think, as the story goes, and I don't have any verification of this, but I think Sid said, either you get on the airplane, John, or don't come home. Wow. And so that we got on the airplane. We got here in time to play on Sunday afternoon. Have you ever been in an airplane and the, and the engine's on fire? That's a... <laughs> I'm on a bus it's, the next time, yeah. It's a quite an experience. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, trying to segue, not easy to do into a little football stuff, but I was I was uh, honored to, to host a, a big 50-year reunion of the 1969 team that you coached. First one went to the Super Bowl, and a lot of the guys came back for it. We had a wonderful conversation here. And uh, what struck me was just the bond that um, all you guys have. I mean, you as the head coach, but as the players that you probably wouldn't find today. Now, a lot of it might be because they played so long together, but I think it goes deeper than that. There were some really deep friendships on that team. Well, that you know, things have changed. I mean, uh, you can't refer to the good old days yeah. because they weren't that good, really. The, the, good, the good old days are right now. The players, mm -hmm. the, you know, the amenities they the, have and the, and the salaries they, uh, they get. But the players played uh, for longer tenures because we didn't have free agency. I mean, they didn't have the bargaining powers. Now, more power to them. They're, I mean, they deserve every nickel they, they get. But the, in those days, we didn't have that. So you, you, you have you players played longer term and had you know bonded a little bit more than they they might do today because your turnover of, the, of mm -hmm. your squad of fifty might be. You know, you might lose, you know, 25% or 30% every year. We didn't do that in those yeah. days. But I think, um, you know, as time goes on, these are the good old days. You're right, to a, to a great extent from a, from a business standpoint. But I think from a, from a relationship standpoint, I can't imagine too many head coaches uh, have a relationship like you have with Jim Marshall, for instance, yeah. that, that – they just probably don't exist. They come in and out of an of, of a playing time. They get to know their name a little bit, and boom, they're gone, and that's the end of it. Well, it's interesting because uh, you know, in talking, for example, to other coaches in the league, I remember Tom Landry uh, talking to him. He was fired on a golf course when 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 they when Jones took over the the, the, the Dallas Cowboys. He called him and said, "Well, you know, I want I want to let you know that we're letting you go." And Landry wow. told me Aiken, Tom, uh, Troy Aiken. Uh, Huh? Troy Aikman? Yeah, he told me that yeah, when he was here Interesting. a couple of years ago. He said, yeah, they fired. Landry's never been to the office since then. Chuck Noel in Pittsburgh, who had the great you know, the great teams in Pittsburgh, they let him go, and he's never been back to his office. Don Shula at, at, you know, was at Baltimore and Miami, and you know, the great record he has, he never goes back to, to the, those offices mm -hmm. or those mm -hmm. owners or, or you know, whatever the— 
they just don't have that relationship. So I consider myself extremely lucky that the the Wilfs and the you know the owners have gone on. I've been here over fifty years. Uh, I've been a Viking for fifty years, and I don't know what that gets me. Nothing, but it, it, at least I've uh, had a a place to you know live and raise a family and have a good time. But what what getting back to Marshall just briefly? What what made him so special to you? Has made him so special. Well, when I came here, uh, <laughs> you got to, uh, you know, I, I evaluated the players and everybody, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, there's if you're raised in a farming community and you raise cows, there's a head cow. And they call it the bell cow. And they put a bell around their neck. So, and why do they do that? So they keep track of the all the other cows because everybody followed the bell cow. Well, I figured I had to have a bell cow. Uh, and I looked at Jim Marshall as my bell cow. And I told him that. I said, you're going to be my bell cow. And he said, what are you talking about? He never called me coach. He always called me boss. What do you, what do you mean, mm-hmm. does that mean, boss? I said, well, because I think you're our leader, and I'm going to put an imaginary bell around your neck, and they're all going to follow you, and you follow me, and we'll, we'll, we'll have great, a great time together. And so Jim Marshall was a special guy. Um, his durability, his enthusiasm, uh, uh, he was a physical freak almost because he'd break something or bend something or never break it. He'd bend it and put it back, bend it back, and he'd ready to go again. Played 19 years, never missed a practice, never missed a game. And my worst, my terrible regret that if he doesn't make the Hall of yeah, Fame, yeah. that that I'll be the happiest guy. I'll go to my grave happy if Jim Marshall can be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people agree with you. Hopefully that the well, uh, the, I've talked to many people in on the committee, mm-hmm. and they kind of agree, but they got a tough job too, as they oh, explain it, yeah. because everybody's got a, you know, is pushing for somebody. Sure. So, uh, but we've done the Vikings, not not just me certainly, but the Vikings in all areas have done everything they could to make sure that Jim Marshall, who is the face of this franchise makes it to the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. If we if we had a magazine to take the top 25 guys in the Vikings, who would you put on the cover? Jim Marshall. Yeah. Wow, that's a statement. Um, as you as we as you get older, uh, is there an old saying like you have to have a reason to get up in the morning? What would drive you to get up in the morning? Well, I think as I've grown older, now I'm 92 years old, and I've seen the devastation of dementia and Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's or whatever you want to call it. And the fact that you can have good memories, I think, is is important. I can entertain myself with my good memories. Uh, (laughs) That's a great line. (laughs) I like that. But I've got a good family, and and, uh, uh, all my experiences have been positive. Uh, had good health in the family, good health myself. And uh, even though I lost my wife, you know, years ago, we had a great relationship and raised a great family. So all of those things uh, contribute to your, your, I'm living in a, a young person's world is what I'm trying to say, I think, because I'm not sitting in an old folks home talking to old people about, you know, how their health problems are and all the problems they got. I'm living in a young person's world, including the Vikings. You know, I'm here mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. talking to people who are a lot younger than I am. We're talking about the, not what my, not my problems, 
it's not their problems really, but their life. And so I'm living in a, in a young person's world as an old man. And you still live in the same house that you've lived in? Since I came to Minneapolis. That's uh, unbelievable. From, from Winnipeg, yeah, I live in the same house and eight bedrooms. So I got to put a bedroom for each kid. And they were still there and it's full of stuff now. That's why I have garage sales. Well, are you having any more? Speaking of that, you've had how many garage sales? Well, I've had well 15. Published? I don't know. I've, 15. I, I keep saying it's the last one, but... <laughs> Now that now that Christmas is here and I'm I'm looking at stuff, oh, so I got a lot more stuff I could I could uh, dump. You got a lot of good years left in you, bud. But how would you like to be remembered? Never been asked that question before. Um, uh, well, it, it bring it broaches another subject. I mean, like what? Uh, I mean, when you're dead, you're dead. I mean, I don't. I really don't care what other. I mean, what, what other people think. I mean, I'm gone. I mean, that's. You're not going to know what they think. It's over. I it's mean, over. It's over. I don't have to go to my grave thinking what they're going to think of me. Maybe I could put it a different way. Yeah. Uh, but just in terms of living the life you've lived, uh, what are you most proud well, of? Well, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. That, I think that's maybe what you're asking. Yes. I, there's nothing I would have changed. I mean, well, sure, we'd like to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, but I mm-hmm. don't know, would I be any any different? Would I be any richer? Would I be any happier? That's only remember football or is only entertainment. It's not life or death. It's entertainment, and you, people lose sight of that. And if you have a great record, I think that's good. But and if you win a Super Bowl, I think that's great. Only lasts so long. Somebody's going to come back next year and win another Super Bowl. So um, you know, it's right. uh, you, you just you just move on. I I I wish I wasn't. I wish I was. 42 instead of 92 and see what was going to come on in the next 50 years. Well, you've taught me well. You've taught me uh, never make a decision before you have to. Lately, you've told me how to say the word no. And um, I can tell you've been like a second father to me, and I really appreciate your well, time. Well, Mark, we, we've gone a long way together, and, yeah. and your mother was a great influence oh. in, in your life, and yeah. she's a good friend of mine, too. Yeah. And uh, we loved you, and we loved your mother and your family, and we've grown up together in this environment. Yeah. And so far, it's been pretty good to us. Very good to us. Totally agree. <laughs> Can't complain. Bud, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Mark. And thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Skull Stories. Skull Stories is presented by CenturyLink, trusted technology partner of the Minnesota Vikings.